when I hear the word, word God back then, I would, I would think the puppet master, the punisher, the rewarder, whatever that is, just, just supreme, this deity, the supreme being that controls everything. But now when I hear God, and it took me a long time to even say the word, I look at it as it, my higher self. I'm part of everything, as you are, mm -hmm. as everyone. So when I hear that, that's the highest aspect of myself. Not saying in an egotistical sort of way that I'm God, but that part of is in there. So it's connecting to your higher self every day. So when you connect to your higher self every day, your decision-making becomes different. You're making your decisions from a higher place. So before when I used to make decisions, it was from a very low place. I was going out there making all the wrong decisions, right? I was dumbing myself down with alcohol and therefore making these terrible decisions. So it lowers your frequency. What meditation does, it allows you to connect to your higher frequency. You raise your vibration, you connect to your higher self. Therefore, your decisions are, if you have a decision to make and it's here or here, you're gonna make the best decision for yourself. With no limitations, what does your perfect day look like? What if it's possible to live like that every day? Would you wake up after 9 a.m., have perfect health, maybe fire your boss, have the money and freedom to do what you love most? The world is your oyster. Where would you be? Who would you be with? The possibilities are endless. Whether you believe it's possible for you or not, you can make more, work less and live free. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, where entrepreneur, best-selling author, world traveler and adventurer, Bryce Robertson and special guests crack the code on money, health, relationships, spirituality and having fun doing what you love most. Be inspired to create your own self-designed freedom lifestyle. Welcome back to Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, we have a very special guest, Mr. Monk Coleman. And before I introduce Monk, for any of you watching or listening right now, I have a very important and serious question to ask. Do you truly live the freedom trinity of financial, time, and location freedom? Do you truly live in fulfillment with a balance and growth in financial wealth, health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun? If any of you answered no to either or both of those questions, then you need to subscribe to this YouTube channel and this podcast now and take control of your freedom. Because if you're listening or watching this, you absolutely deserve to live free and live fulfilled. So do yourself a solid, subscribe now, and take control of your freedom. Why? Because you downright bloody deserve it. So for those of you listening for the first time, welcome to Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. Thanks for joining us. You will not be disappointed. And for all of our freedom hackers out there, welcome back. Today, my friends, we have a very special guest, Mr. Monk Coleman. Monk is the author, transformational coach, public speaker, personal trainer, and three times natural physique bodybuilder. Monk grew up fatherless and very poor, eventually slipping into a life of substance abuse and crime. And after hitting rock bottom, he turned to meditation and transformed his entire life to that of service. 
Now, 12 years sober, he works with others to help facilitate their healing through his coaching. Monk, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. When once I heard your your show that you, you that you did with uh, uh, Brian, I was sold. I, I just love the way the conversation went. I, I love the show. Um, so much helpful information. So many nuggets I could take out of there. I said, you know what? When you when you approach me, I'm like, I got to do this. So yeah, I cool. really support what you got going on here, and that's Thank why. You. I'm here. Thank you. Appreciate that, brother. And look, man, I know you've had, you've had a bit of a wild ride in your life. You've been up to a few things. And, and given the current moment that you are today, what's given you the most gratitude right, right now? Well, learning to love myself was the biggest thing that through this whole transformation is the biggest thing that happened. Because without that, whatever you do, is, is not, it's not going to be the best route for you. So all the things I was doing before was out of insecurity and lack of love for self. So having that love for self means you can also love others. You can, you can be a better father. You can be a better husband. You know what I'm saying? You can treat yourself better. You can treat your temple better. Um, you treat, treat, treat people better in general um, going walking through life. So the, the love for self and, and the, the compassion that comes along with it. That was the most important thing I've, I've, I've received or reconnected to because it's always within us through this meditation and transformation uh, process. And I think that most people don't love themselves the way they should. And that's why we do things externally, not intentionally to hurt ourselves, but we end up doing things to hurt ourselves in our progress in life. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And I'm looking forward to unpacking that as this conversation unfolds. I just want to wind back the clock a little bit for us. And can you unpack for us what it was like to grow up in a household without a father? Well, I, I never really thought it had an impact on my life until I got older. And then I looked back and I, I started to understand the subconscious programming that we all go through. So from birth to seven, what you experience at that time inside the house, outside the house, what you see, what you hear, uh, the people that are around you impact you uh, tremendously, right? So I didn't know that. So as I was growing up, I was like, oh, my father, he died when I was four years old. Um, no big deal. People say, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, don't be sorry for me. Um, so at the time, I didn't realize it had a, an impact on me. Right. I always wanted to have a father because everybody else, you know, not everybody else had one, but at least they had a, some type of male role model in their life, whether it be a step or I, my own entire life. There was not a male in the house. Literally you know, none. none. Literally none. Okay. Right. That, that, that was a stepfather for a while or, you know, someone that can, you know, mentor me or, or whatever. Um, so I didn't know what it was like, but I knew when I went to my friend's house and some of them had some pretty stable, you know, households, I started to see what other people live like. Okay. And I started to really miss that, that father thing, the, 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 the guy that can show you how to fix things, you know, the guy that can show you how to, uh, you know, when you're in sports, how to say, okay, this is what it is. Just continue. Don't stop, you know, give you that fatherly encouragement that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when I was good at sports and if I didn't get my way, I was just like, okay, well, I, I, I'm just going to quit this. Right. Where if I think if I had a father, they would say, no, you don't, don't quit that. Them lessons that only fathers can give you. You know, I hear things, uh, a lot of women saying, I'm the father and the mother. You can't be, 
Mm. You can you can try mm. your best. Yeah. But you can never be that you can never fulfill that role. You but because a because a female has not had the experience of being a male and having that experience and we can only teach from having the experience, right? A absolutely. And we're just we're made different. Mm -hmm. We're made different. Period. Right. We both have our uh, feminine and, and, and masculine parts of us, but we're just made different. Mm -hmm. um, we I, I always say that the, the men are, are they live more from the ego based place and the women are more, you know, from a spiritual place. They have more of a connection. Sure. But having that 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 father to, to, to push you through those hard times and to give you support. I, I really looking back, I miss that. Mm -hmm. So as I was growing up, I just had my mother and we there were seven of us. Wow. And yeah, it was a big, and we were, we were on, we were the products of the system our whole life. We just welfare kids, dirty little mm -hmm. welfare kids. So um, even when I would get in trouble, the, the way a man would take care of a, the issue is different from the way a female would take care of the issue. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I, that had an effect on me too. So I got to a certain age where I wasn't afraid of my mom no more. Mm -hmm. And I was still pretty young. Like yeah. we get our whoopings and our beatings. And one day I just laughed, you know, I laughed at her. Like you, you can't hurt me anymore. And you I had a bit of a re rebellious edge to you where you're just like, all right, man, I got this. Yeah, right. Absolutely. To where if there was a man around, it was, could, could not beat me, but I would be intimidated or, or fearful just because of that presence. Maybe I would do something different. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I wasn't, I had no, uh, uh, as far as getting punishment, I had no, really no problem uh, of what would happen if I did whatever I did. So as like a five-year-old, I was stealing from stores. Wow. Um, I, I was already getting into a lot of trouble at that age, running around with a friend of mine. We'd go to stores, hit up stores, even my brothers and sisters, we, we didn't have money. So most of the time we're stealing candy and things like that mm -hmm. because we didn't have it. And, and people always say, you know, everybody has the same opportunities. But when you don't have something, it forces you, poverty creates crime because you need to get what you need to get even though you're very poor. So especially with the systems and the redlining and the stuff that happened, especially with the black community, you put people in this, uh, in poverty and in a state where they cannot buy outside of this area and it creates crime and crime creates violence. So it's a lack of having something, right? That creates this, this dynamic. Sure. And so like the other kids, were they all just like game on? They're like, yeah, let's go like steal some stuff. Oh, and yeah. Like, oh, oh, man. I remember one time it? we went to a store and we were all stealing. And they knew we was in there doing it because we were some little dirty kids. And they knew we wouldn't have no money going in the store. And so we just had our little system where we were walk around and start stealing stuff. Then, we, you know, sometimes we get chased out. Hey, yeah, and we just all start running. So yeah, everybody was in on it. You know, uh, Christmases weren't really Christmases. You was always excited, but then when it came, you didn't get anything that you wanted, right? Santa mm -hmm. Claus wasn't real in the household. So really? without the mm -hmm. father, you're also not having that other income that's coming in. Mm -hmm. So it's very stressful. And at times I used to blame my mother for things. And then I realized having seven kids with no father in the house, just a simple wow. fact that we even that we even had things to eat every day. Right. We never went hungry, but that's pulling off. That's a miracle right there. So, you know, I, there's so much love that I have to give for that woman because I couldn't have done that. Seven. No, no help. Isn't that monumental? I mean, I, I talk to entrepreneurs and about the challenges of being an entrepreneur and all these sorts of things. And and then I think about like a single mother, especially with like seven kids, like 
that's that's a really huge challenge and that's got to be stressful and you don't have a break man like you've got to take your hat off to your mom that's that's yeah huge. yeah she didn't have a break at all and the oldest one was 20 years older than the youngest one wow. so she had wow. so so you see what i'm saying so there that's was always parenting it was always kids there was always it was never a break mm -hmm. it was never a break yeah so so as i got older i got my, my mother, they, she took us to church. She wanted us to act right, so she took us to church. Okay. And, and like I said, from zero to seven, you get in your program. So as I'm getting programmed, you know, the way I think about money is, is a program, living mm -hmm. in that lack state. Um, uh, what I thought about relationships, right? There was no relationships that weren't dysfunctional that I, that I saw. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a single parent household that I saw. And, um, she took us to church because she wanted us to, uh, you know, become saved and be Christian. So we went to church three times a week. So what happened as I was getting older, I realized what I was really bad at a young age. And then I realized the, the, the consequences of my actions through church, through the church's eyes, right? Yeah. The church that I went to. And you yeah. know what the consequences are, right? Mm -hmm. Heaven or a hell. Yeah. So, and I think this is such a terrible thing because a child shouldn't be living in fear. And it's a fear-based teaching. So they're saying, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, the ultimate punishment forever is here for you. Yeah. So I straightened up. Okay. But I straightened up out of fear. Fear and guilt. Not because, yes, not because it was in my heart. Okay. Right? So I've, I straightened up. I started, I, I tried to stab, I think the last time I really got in trouble, I tried to stab my brother when I was like six or wow. seven. Wow. Right. So we had got into it and he, he was three years, four years older than me and I couldn't beat him at the time. So I just opened a knife and started swinging it at him. And I got a lot in trouble. They, when I went back to church, uh, they was like, you know, you shouldn't do that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, God doesn't want that, whatever. But around that time, I started to straighten up and I was okay. and I was straight for until my later teenage years. OK. And when I got my hormones start kicking in. Right. So one of the rules in our religion that, you know, our, our this form of Christianity that we were in is you can't have sex before you're married. Okay. Yep. So my hormones are starting to kick in. I'm starting to yeah. turn, turn into a man. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I can't do this. You know, I mean, I really, you know, girls, I mean, that's all I'm thinking about at this time. Either that or you better get married pretty soon. <laughs> right. Or get, and get married right now. You know what I'm saying? So I, I was still kind of one foot in and one foot out at this time. And then yeah. finally I'm like, I'm so, uh, feel so guilty okay. for what I'm doing. I'm like, I'm just going to go all the way out. I'm going to go the opposite direction. So if yeah. I'm going to get punished for this, I might as well do everything, right? You're just going to paint the town red, man, and just go for it. <laughs> that, that's, that's it. So I was basically like, well, if I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go on my own terms. I'm not going to tiptoe around and make mistakes and, and still go when I can just do whatever I want. You're going out, going right? blazing. Exactly. Let's go out with a shootout, right? So this is what I did, man. And, and, and going back to the fatherless thing, all the people I started to hang around with, they didn't have fathers either. Okay. So now we're teaching each other. We're teaching each other what not to do. But teaching each other, this is what you should do. Reinforcing with each other. Hey, man, this is the deal. This is works. Absolutely. So it's like the blind leading the blind. It's like a bunch, bunch of rogue teenagers that with no guidance, no direction that are teaching each other.
-hmm. So I started selling drugs at, uh, in my later teens, I started um, selling crack cocaine. Okay. And I started drinking and, and, the, and, and womanizing and just doing, you know, started carrying guns. I started doing all these things and I knew it wasn't me. That wasn't me. I was, I was doing something to fit in to the environment and to connect with the people I was hanging around with. And then like you, you're with these women, right? And you're not, you're not doing this based off love. You just, you're getting your rocks off. Right. And probably feeling That's like cool. a bit of a hot shot too. Cause you're like, you know, cranking up on numbers and Hey, yeah, I got a girl on Friday night. And then next Tuesday night. Yeah. We're all good, man. I'm the boss. So you've been there. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. I've that experience myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's like bragging rights, you know, yeah. you come, you, you, you just talking to your friends. Oh yeah, I did this. I did that. I did that. It's all about validation and, and being accepted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I look like this now, but I used to be quite handsome back in the day. So it wasn't an issue. <laughs> it wasn't an issue for me right back in the day. That's one thing that I was blessed with mm -hmm. to, to be a part of this role. I was playing the story I was creating about myself. Okay. And it played a major part. In, in this creation. So going forward, everything just started to elevate. So as far as the, the drug dealing, I was very small time, just doing what I had to do to make money, to have money in my pocket. Mm -hmm. Because at that time, the way I was living, I wasn't gonna get no job. Mm -hmm. So I was just, you know, some supplementing my income with, with this. And uh, the drinking started to become more frequent. Uh, we would go get boxes of 40s, I'm talking about boxes of 40 ounces mm -hmm. and we set them down. We just start cracking them. We drink them all day. I started mm -hmm. smoking cigarettes, weed, the drink. Uh, I never got into doing drugs, just selling drugs, but still there was no father figure around. So now we're looking up to the generation above us that's doing exactly the same thing that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. My mom can't stop me. Right. She always says, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. She, there's nothing she could say to me that's going to stop me living the way I'm living. Mm -hmm. And I, I never felt like I had a purpose. I, I always felt like there was something missing. And I knew it wasn't the church going back to church, but still mm -hmm. at the same time, because that was my program, I still had fear. I had an underlying fear, fear of it. Mm -hmm. So being so uncomfortable, I, I always wanted to drink to take any of these fearful thoughts or negative things out of my life. It, drinking okay. put me into a state of presence, but it wasn't a real state of presence. It was from a drug that put me to the state, right? So that's why people like to drink so much. That's why we have addictions, because we want to get out of our current state. It's, it's actually different. more like a coma, isn't it, really? Like you're, oh. you're present in a coma. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes you don't even remember what you did the night before. Yeah. Right. So to get out of our current uncomfortable state, addiction comes in all contact, you know, all forms, sex, drugs, shopping, eating, which people really don't get right now. Because I mean, eating is a huge addiction, but it mm -hmm. doesn't have the, the, the negative connotation that drugs or alcohol has, even though it's killing more people than drugs or alcohol. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So it's what society deems as okay. Oh, he's just an overeater. No, that person's running from something. It gives him some type of comfort. So anytime that person's eating, it's, it's bringing them to that present moment with that food, just like it's bringing me with that alcohol or the next person with the drugs. And were you eating well at the time? Would you say oh, you were no, eating well? No, 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 no. I wasn't doing anything well at the time. 
-hmm. I was being a, a, a liar. Uh, that was doing that well. I was being a cheat. Um, I was being violent. Uh, what else was I doing well? Nothing, nothing, nothing that was good for me. Nothing that was serving you. Nothing that was serving. One thing that I did stay connected with was weights, believe it or not. Okay. Awesome. So, I mean, I would even go to the gym on a, with a hangover. Okay. So for whatever reason, and I think it was all uh, ego based, I just wanted to look a certain way so I can mm -hmm. therefore keep doing what I'm doing, but I was still there. Not because it was a love for my body or, you know, taking care of myself. It was all, you know, superficial. Okay. Now, but even, even though it was superficial, it was still giving benefits to me as far as my body. Yep. So now I'm getting to the point of um, really uh, being depressed and going, what am I doing? So it, everything increased because with the, uh, when something's amiss, when something is not aligned, you think maybe if I do more of it, I'll get to that place of, I feel okay now. I feel complete now. Mm -hmm. And just like a perfect example of someone that makes a certain amount of money, they say, I want to make a million dollars. And then they do it. And now the goalpost moves. Yeah. It's always going to move. Yeah. Right. They still got I, the same problems. They still got the same shit. Everything, everything. You haven't really connected to your purpose. Mm -hmm. You're just thinking these external things are, are going to, one is going to make something go click and you're going to be happy and be okay and have peace in your life. But it doesn't. And that's what I was doing with the, the women. So if I get enough of them, somehow one's gonna, it's gonna be click, I'm good. But it never happens. You never make enough money. You never become muscular enough. You never, and when I coach my clients, it's like, they'll show me a magazine picture. I wanna look like that if they're going in that route as far as the physical body. Because mm -hmm. a lot of my coaching, I'm going geared towards transformational coaching. Yeah. But they say, I wanna look like this. And I just tell them, it's like, that's not what it's all about. It's not about what you look like. It's about how you're treating yourself and the looks. That's a byproduct product of what you're doing. These habits that you need to change. Mm -hmm. Right? So they're going, everybody's working backwards. I want to look like this. They're not going, what do I have to do to be healthy, strong? Blah, blah. They're, not, they're not coming like that. They're taking mm -hmm. a, a fake picture out of a magazine and going, I want to look like this. What is yeah. the reason why you want to look like this? It's, it's so superficial. Our mm -hmm. bodies are amazing. Our bodies are, are, we're miracles, right? It's not about the look. What are you doing to take care of that body? Because then that's the reason why so many people are on steroids. That's the reason why so many people are getting surgeries. They don't want to take care of the body. They just want this look. And the look is the last thing that you should be concerned about. But it'll come if you do these other things to take care of yourself, yeah. it has no choice but to show up when you're eating right and you're exercising and you're meditating and you're loving yourself. It has no choice, right? It's almost the same thing. It's like, if you keep drinking, you're going to get drunk. There's, you don't have a choice. This is what's going to happen. If you take care of yourself, you're going to lose the weight. You're going to gain the muscle. On top of that, you're going to feel content. You're going to feel good. You're going to raise your vibration. Your whole life will change when you do it from a place of love for yourself rather than I want to get ready for uh, summer. I want to mm -hmm. get a six pack for summertime. Yeah. So it's really where your focus is as far as that goes. So as I continue forward, 
I, all my relationships were dysfunctional, going back to zero from, from birth to seven years old. They looked just like what I seen. Everything looked just like it, right? I didn't want, I heard my father had an alcohol problem, a, a violent problem. Uh, he was a womanizer. He was all these things that I said, I thought I would never do. In my, mm -hmm. in my conscious mind, I didn't want to be that. Yeah. When my mom says, I'm worried about you, you're, you're, you're turning into your father or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And I was drunk when I came in uh, and she told me that. And I was like, well, yeah, whatever. But looking back now, she literally seen my father in me because yeah. of my actions, what I was doing. He died at 36. Wow, he's young. And, and they say either he, from, from his uh, drug and alcohol abuse, or they said, when I got older, they said someone might have done it to him. Ooh, but either wow. way, because of his lifestyle, it took his life. Mm -hmm. Right? So I look back and, and now my father. And I don't, I don't know where I'm going. I've, at this point, uh, I'm in my 30s and I have five kids already. Oh, okay. So you're in your thirties, you got five kids already and you're still heading down the wrong path. Still. I mean, it went from doing that to being like the party guy, uh, still selling a little bit of stuff, still really uh, ego based life, you know, getting cars and doing that whole thing, thinking it's going to make things, it's going to make me feel content and whole mm -hmm. and, it, and it never did. So I had to come to a crossroads I came to a crossroads, I didn't have to. So before my, I knew about uh, my last child, uh, Ishiana, mm -hmm. uh, I was getting, we, I was getting ready to go party in Miami for a whole week. So uh, we show up there and before I even start drinking, her mother, I said, cause we were tr not trying to get pregnant. We weren't, we were leaving it up to something higher, whether it happened or not, right? So we weren't trying and we weren't not trying. Okay. We're just letting it happen. So before we started to go in and start drinking and doing our thing, I said, why don't you check? And I don't even know why I asked her. Cause it was like, after we had this conversation about trying, not trying, it literally was like a week before that. Okay. Right. So I just, something told me like, you should check first before we go hard all week and do whatever we're going to do here. Okay. She checked, she was pregnant. And I was like, that's crazy by itself. So she didn't drink or do anything the rest of the time, but I did. So I stayed up to about six o'clock the next morning doing my thing, uh, drinking. And uh, when I got up in the morning and I went to the bathroom, I was peeing blood. Wow. So now I'm like, I'm already depressed. I'm already, hey, you know, anxious all the time. And alcohol is my crutch because alcohol brings me back to a state of, Oh, like I can deal with life now, right? It brought me back. It took the edge off of everything and brought me to this moment. And I, it was just me and the alcohol. And now I'm like, wow, what am I going to do now? I don't know. what I have no idea what I'm going to do because obviously this is not working for me. So the rest of the trip, I didn't drink. But when I realized I was an alcoholic is when I went back home to the Bay Area. I started back doing it. Even after I seen this. And what happened was it kept happening, but I still didn't stop. It took me like four months after I got back to actually, after a party one night, I was like, okay, if I don't stop, it's over for me. Like literally over for me. Yeah. 
So after a birthday party, I stopped. I forced to stop. And it was, I would say, I'd say, this is it. It's either I do this or I'm out of here. So it was very, um, you know, when you have a habit for so long, it almost feels like you're missing something so much, even though it's not the actual feeling of being drunk. It's like something was missing from my life at that moment. Yeah. It's a habit. You've been doing it for like, now you're about 15 years deep or something. 20. 20 years. 20 deep. plus at wow. this time. At 38. Wow. So I, I usually didn't smoke cigarettes unless I drank, but I, I, I was like, I need to do something. I'm so anxious. So I'm smoking cigarettes sober. And I did that for a whole year, smoking cigarettes sober, which I never used to do that before. But I was about maybe five months into uh, sobriety, I'm doing pretty good. But the thoughts, the random thoughts, the anxiety, the really having to deal with my shit, right? Yeah. Really yeah. having to deal with what comes up without help. I became short, I became angry, but what I did was, I don't know how meditation came into this, this I don't even know what, how I thought of it, but, I tried the church. Matter of fact, after I stopped drinking, no, before I stopped drinking, I, I still knew something was amiss. And I went back to church one time. And when I went in there, I was like, I wasn't feeling any love at all. I was like, nah, that ain't for me. So I just went out and kept drinking and doing my thing. So meditation came up. I don't know how it came up. And then I started sitting. Now, everything starts coming up now. So every time I sit, a million things are coming up. And I started out very uh, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever but i stayed with it i was like I, I i need help and for whatever reason i didn't quit on that so usually uh back going back like i said if so, if something i didn't like something i just quit if it wasn't what i immediate gratification i just quit like yeah. i said if i had a father he might have pushed me through it but i was like i don't know what else to do so i'm going to continue doing this and what happened was it started to change the way I think. So I started to think about people different. I was still short, believe me. It was a few years in when I met my current wife and she said I was still the angry black man, right? Mm -hmm. I was still short. I was working through all this unhealed stuff within myself. All the guilt, the shame, the blame, the victim identity, all this stuff, I'm working through it all without my helper, which is with alcohol. Mm -hmm. So, it was a tough thing to do, and uh, but I continue to do it. Because you're actually was, facing it now. Because you're not yes. facing it when you're drinking and hitting the drugs and all that. You just you're, you're taking your mind off all that crap. Right. So whatever you, whatever you resist persists. Right. So for this whole time, I'm pushing it down with alcohol. I'm pushing it down. I'm pushing it down. I'm pushing it down. So when you're pushing something down for twenty something years, and then you stop and you start meditating and this stuff starts coming up in waves and you start getting it all and you realize all the things that you haven't dealt with. And like I said, it's a, for one, it's a lonely thing. It's a, it's, it's a, your own journey and people don't realize, and that's why we have to be kind to people. People don't realize the internal struggle that people are going through. We don't have a clue. I don't have a clue what you're going through. Right? So the best thing I can do is send you love and kindness and compassion, no matter how you are acting towards me or anybody else. Because hurt people hurt people. You heard that before. Only hurt people 
lash out at other people. There's something in, with inside them, themselves that needs healing. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't take things personal nowadays because I know that that's not, they're dealing with something internally. There's some kind of conflict right there that they haven't dealt with. They were angry before you came along and lost their shit, you know, like that kind of person. If someone's like going crazy at you in the supermarket grocery line, they were angry before you came along. Oh, it had nothing to do with you. Yeah. See, I don't take things personal anymore because mm -hmm. I know it's not, it's, I know it's not them. Mm -hmm. Like them at, at who they really are. That, that soul, that light, that love, they're dealing with some other stuff. They might be in a very low vibrational place. Something tragic could have happened in their family that day. You know, mm -hmm. their wife or husband could have left them. Whatever the case may be, they're, they're wrapped up in this emotional state, which then they project it onto others. And I understand that. So when I met my current wife, she said I was the angry black man. And then, but she watched my whole evolution. So like I said, I was starting to think about other people and, and homeless people and drug addicts and, and thinking like, what can I do with them? So I was cultivating this, this compassion for other people, which I never had before. Before it was all selfish. What can I do for me? How can I get what I need? What about me? That's all it ever was. And now do you think the, the biggest contributor to the shift here was the fact that you started meditating? Oh, absolutely. So when I heard the word, word God back then, I would, I would think the puppet master, the punisher, the rewarder, whatever that is, just, just supreme, this deity, the supreme being that controls everything. But now when I hear God, and it took me a long time to even say the word, I look at it as it, my higher self. I'm part of everything as you are, mm -hmm. as everyone. So when I hear that, that's the highest aspect of myself not saying in an egotistical sort of way that I'm God, but that part of is in there. So it's connecting to your higher self every day. So when you connect to your higher self every day, your decision-making becomes different. You're making your decisions from a higher place. So before when I used to make decisions, it was from a very low place. I was going out there making all the wrong decisions, right? I was dumbing myself down with alcohol and therefore making these terrible decisions. So it lowers your frequency. What meditation does, it allows you to connect to your higher frequency. You raise your vibration, you connect to your higher self. Therefore, your decisions are, if you have a decision to make and it's here or here, you're gonna make the best decision for yourself. So this becomes a pattern, right? And this pattern leads to meeting different people, creating a different circle for yourself, even a new career, and doing things to uplift the world instead of tear it down. So as I sit and connecting to my higher self, now I'm making decisions from a different place, right? Everything is expanding. I'm connecting to my true self. Going forward with the meditation, I'm getting rid of the old program. I didn't know it at the time, but what, hap what was happening was my subconscious program, which runs 95% of you, and that's why it's so hard for people that really consciously want to do something, but they can never make that change. Say you really want to lose weight, but your subconscious, subconscious programming is everybody used to call you fat. Your parents used to call you fat. Whatever that is, that was your program. So you sabotage yourself. So as you're trying to lose weight and stuff, your subconscious is saying, no, you're still that overweight, fat kid, just like they used to call you. And you do something to get off track and get back. 
So alcoholism, drug addiction, this was your program. So every time you start to be sober for a while, something hits you, life pressures, whatever, your automatic default is back to that subconscious program. Always. And that's why you always see people going through the same issues over and over and over and over. They're still living from that old program. No matter how much they want to change, it's impossible to change from the same state of consciousness that you got yourself there in. Yeah. Right? So if you're consciously the same, you're going to keep doing the same stuff. And that's how you find 60-year-olds still clubbing and doing the same things that they're doing because nothing has changed. They're still living in that old program. So meditation starts to knock that old program down and you start to rewire your brain. Literally, you start to grow gray matter. Gray matter is responsible for your emotional state, uh, decision-making and things like that. So our lives are just one big bag of decisions. We're talking here today together because of all the decisions we made in our lives. Mm -hmm. Think about that. So if we take that trail from right now and go backwards, it's all led to this conversation right now. Mm-hmm. And people don't believe that every conversation with anybody, whether you deem it good or bad, was, it was, it was not a coincidence, right? Every experience you have brought you there on purpose, mm-hmm. no matter what it was. So if my life was different than it is now and your life was different than it is now, we wouldn't be here right now. And this happened because of the decisions we made from the state of consciousness we made them in. So, and then what happened was three years into my meditation, guess what happened? Take a guess. Three years into your meditation, did you actually find yourself? No. No? So this is, this is, the cra- this is a crazy part. So three years into my meditation, I'm eating an uh, a omelet in, in Jacqueline Square in Oakland. And I didn't, no meat sounded good to me, right? I, no meat. I was like, usually I put bacon on there or have some yeah. sausage or something, something mixed in there, but I was like, no meat. So my friend that I was with, she said, are you a vegetarian? And I was like, yeah. Didn't know why, but have you ever, something ever came through where you just knew that you weren't gonna do it again or knew like sure. the knowing, not like kind of, but like, I'm never going to eat meat again. That sure. came through. That came through. I didn't know why. Okay. So as and soon this, as I looked, This was your first experience. You're sitting there having this omelet and you're like, yeah, I, I am vegetarian. I, I don't want yes. meat again. Okay. Yes. I didn't, know I, I didn't know what a vegan was at that time. So I was like, okay. I, don't, I don't, I, and then I left and I start instantly start Googling stuff like v- vegetarian. Cause I'm sober at three years at this point and I'm in the gym. And you know, you hear you need all this protein, this and that, or whatever. So I started Googling vegetarian and bodybuilding and things like that. And the funny part is I know most of the people that popped up now. I know them yeah. now, like the yep. vegan bodybuilders and stuff. Because yeah. you know. Um, and then I looked up why. Like why did I why did I choose this? Because I know this is it for me as far as eating meat. And it said that I made a connection not only to human life but to animal life Mm. and did not want to harm basically any sentient beings. So we got to understand animals feel just like us. They can't, they can't communicate like us, but they feel like us. They love their kids like us. They have relationships like like us. 
They feel pain like us. They're sad like us. They're happy like us. They have joy like us. They know they exist just like us. They just communicate different. So, and I thought about it and I'm like, yeah, well, I couldn't kill them. If I had to kill them to eat them, I wouldn't do that because I, didn't, I don't want to see that pain and that suffering. So I said, that makes so much sense. But I was like, I'm not going to get stop drinking milk or eating eggs until I seen a video on that process as well. They have to be pregnant to give milk. So they take the, the baby cow and if it's a boy, it's veal, right? That's veal, right? Yeah. And if it's a girl, a female, they hook it up and milk it to death. It's like dead in four years. And then they give these sick cows and they give them the fast food or whatever. But when I seen that process, as far as the chicken process, they throw the males in a grinder because they're no good in the chicken uh, plants. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't produce eggs. So what, what are they good for? So they'll gas them, throw them in the grinders, whatever. And the conditions that the, the female chickens are in are horrible as well. So I can't be a part of that. If I stopped eating meat because of compassion, well, I can't be a part of this part of it either, right? And an interesting thing about this, and I've actually seen a lot of these graphic videos myself of how a lot of the mass-produced animals are actually taken care of. It's, it's horrific. Um, but even if, like, there are some animals that have a have an experience of, you know, they kind of promote it as if, you know, the, the cow's getting foot rubs and everything like that, and they're really taken care of it. And I do understand that there's some animals out there that truly are being taken care of on some certain farms. But at the end of the day, there's still that process of going from being a living animal to not being a living animal. And, and you know, you were talking before about like raising our vibrations. And when an animal goes through that experience, I just have the big question mark of like, it's got to be a shocking experience for the animal. Even if they say it's humane, they're still going through like that shock of death. And then how does that get transferred into that animal's body and then transferred into our mouths when we're eating it? You know, we've got to take on that shock, even if it had the life of, you know, being washed with like soap suds and foot rubs and all of that. Um, there's still that like death experience with the animals yep. as well. You are 100% right. And I tell people this all the time. Everything is energy. So there's certain people that rub you, might rub you wrong, or everybody's had an experience where they don't like the way the energy of a person in the room or someone they may know every time they give get around them, it, just, it feels uncomfortable, but that's mm -hmm. energy and that's real. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's not energy, including your thoughts. That's how thoughts create things, right? Mm -hmm. The energetic uh, stamp on that thought. Yep. So as soon as they become fearful and that, uh, 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 that fear horm hormone goes through their body, it changes their cells immediately. So I was at a, a coffee shop one day and I started talking to somebody who had a vegan shirt on and I started talking to somebody and I said, you know, the energy that you're taking on when you eat this and it becomes part of you, you like literally are what you eat on mm -hmm. a cellular level. Like mm -hmm. those cells are becoming your cells. I mean, yeah. the only reason why we're alive is because of the food we eat. So we're just a product of, of the food we eat. Without the so, food, we die, right? So we're taking so on everything. So that means right now you're a vegetable, right? I'm a vegetable. You're a vegetable. Exactly. <laughs> I'm fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. So when you take on that, not only the growth hormone, not only the, the antibiotics, not only all the things that they give it, the food they give it and whatnot, you take it on the energetic uh, uh, state of this being. Mm. So I know a couple people that when they stopped eating meat, they stopped having anxiety. So you get in this fear 
and especially in the regular factory farms, the way they're treated their entire life, the stress levels, the stress every single day that these animals go through. Every single day they're stressed out in small little pins, they can't turn, they can't move. A lot of them start going crazy, gnawing on stuff and swinging back and forth. I mean, it, 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 it truly is crazy. Gnawing on each other. I've seen videos yes, of that. Yes, they had to cook the beets on the chicken so they don't peck each other. Doing mm -hmm. these little cramped quarters, even the free range ones, they're just in one building, but they're all smashed together. Mm. So their feathers are falling out. And it's like, it's crazy. So three years in, I became a vegetarian. And then going forward, I became a vegan. So this was all happening, happening organically. So when I started this meditation, right, I didn't go, what is it going to do for me? I just said, well, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. and now that I look back at it and I watch a lot of, uh, uh, that, you know, uh, uh, podcasts and things like that and do a lot of research on my own, all the things that happened to me, I now go, I, I know why it happened. Yeah. Um, so if I would have looked at what meditation did for you at first and really got into that, which I didn't, um, I would have maybe tried to guide myself in that direction. But all this stuff happened by itself. And then I look back and go, okay, this is what happened during this time. So, like I said, I started to love myself. Never did that before. Unconditionally. So, when you love yourself unconditionally, the people around you benefit. Mm -hmm. Because now I'm starting to not look at the faults of the people around me. I'm starting to look at the wholeness of the people around me and having an understanding that they're doing the best they can. So when I first got married, little things that my wife might have, you know, be doing would irritate me because my focus was there. Mm -hmm. My focus wasn't on who the being actually was. I was looking, my focus was in the wrong direction, right? So whatever you focus on, that's what's going to be your experience. Yeah. So no matter what, I mean, somebody can be good 99% of the time. If you're focusing in the wrong place, you always focus on that 1%. So that love I was creating for myself started to go outward. I started to do homeless feeds. Um, I was just like walking up to homeless people and people that are having issues and, uh, you know, giving them, asking them if they need something. I was just like, my whole life was like, who, who can I help? How can I help? The complete opposite of the egotistical younger version of yourself. Absolutely. Who can I help? My mission was to help people. And I, and I became so, such an empath. Like I would see things and I would feel them like so deeply. Hmm. Like it's, you got to be careful when you start to get into the state because you don't want to take on that, 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 that energy but then you care so much at the same time, right? You don't want to walk around depressed because of what you see and what you feel. You kind of have to remove yourself from that, but you feel everything so deeply. And okay. it, it's like, I became emo, I was just an emotional person now. I was just, mm -hmm. I was feeling everything. The trees started to look different. I started like, nature was like the most beautiful thing ever. Mm -hmm. I started to taste, my food started to taste different. I also started to go through this purging process where my body was also doing things. Like I was getting like rashes. I mean, I was completely detoxing, wow. even on an energetic level and it's coming out through my skin and certain things that I was experiencing. And then I really had to look this stuff up, like what the heck is going on?
part of my, just about four years ago, I started during meditation, I started having these really violent jerks, right? And all this stuff I looked up after the fact, but as it was going on, I was just like, what is going on? So, I mean, my head was like, wow, wow, wow. Really? Like jerking, like by itself, I could not stop it. Wow. And it was like, like literally like someone was pushing my face or, you know, hit me with a palm. That's how much it was jerking. Mm. And it went on for like a year. And when I was researching it, it was like there was energy because, you know, we have our chakras, our energy centers, but it was blocked energy. So mm. it was trying to release itself through my meditation, but it was hitting blockages, which was making my body move. I was getting hot sensations, cold sensations. I was getting all these physical things now during meditation where I never had it before. So this energy, Kundalini energy was trying to move, but it was getting blocked. Okay. So from, from our uh, uh, root and it moves up like a spiral. So all these motions, I even had head rotations uh, uh, for a short period. I lay down in bed and my head by itself, and I'm not making this up, would just start rotating. So I could be looking left and it would just go to the right. Super slow and crazy. And I never told my wife about it at the time because she probably thought I was crazy. But I looked that up also and it was like, yep, this can happen. Your head rotating like that. So I knew something was happening. My life was changing. My life was completely different. And then one day during meditation, the craziest thing happened. And I look back now, and this was that Kundalini energy, that, that Kundalini awakening. So I'm sitting there in meditation, and I'm used to the jerks and all that other stuff, right? I'm used to that. But my stomach by itself started going way out and way in and way out and way in. Almost like, you know, the people that can pull their stomachs way into their spinal cord and then move yeah. it way out to like they're bloated? Like my Indians. stomach was almost yeah. moving that much by itself while I'm yeah. sitting down. I'm like, this is crazy. What is going on? So I'm in meditation. My stomach's doing that. No pain, no nothing. Just moving, just in and out and in and out. And after that, the jerk stopped. So my jerking stopped. What happened was the energy made it through. It was not blocked anymore. It's flowing. Energy flows up like that, like a, 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 a circular motion up like that. But it was doing that in my stomach and it was flowing now. And from that point on, when I look back at it, I had my, I stopped, the jerking stopped. And I didn't know what that was until maybe last year. I was watching a video and some woman explained the exact same thing that happened to her that happened to me. And I'm like, that's what it was. So I know sometimes when people hear about things like this happening, they think it's all airy fairy or whatever. This was my own personal experience. This is coming from somebody that was living a completely different lifestyle. It wasn't like I was born in a commune and I was raised a spiritual person or anything like that. It was completely the opposite. So there's no reason for me to make something up like this because of where I came from, right? So I wouldn't believe it myself. If someone was to be telling me the stuff I'm telling you right now, I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, that's how it happened, huh? But it did. It happened just like that. And then 
I started almost to become more intelligent. Like I was accessing things and talking different, speaking different than I ever used to. And I started taking up an interest in reading. I'd re I had never read a book in my entire life till 10 years ago. Not one, not even for school. Wasn't my thing. And now I took this interest in reading and learning more about what was going on with me, learning more about consciousness, learning more about doing that shadow work and that inner healing and the things we all have to deal with. Because if we don't, we're not gonna be our best self. We're not gonna be here completely living a purpose-driven life. We're always gonna be doing, we're always gonna be doing something that's not completely aligned with why we're here. Now, when you're aligned, you're, you do everything different. Like I said, I've read, I don't know how many books. I always read. I read every day. It's part of my thing. Not because I, uh, I think it should be, it's good for me because I have a genuine interest in it. I want to learn now. Before, I didn't want to learn nothing unless it was illegal, you know. And the way I talk, the way I, the way I communicate um, is completely changed. The way I, I go ahead. Yeah, so like when you said um, when you're in alignment, would you say that your experience is that when you're in alignment, like life's just working for you, like everything's just falling into place and it just, it just freaking works? Well, is alignment, experience? well, everything is always working for you, no matter if you're in alignment or not, because it's trying to get you into alignment. So a lot of the hardships we have is because we're not in alignment. And it's trying to get you there okay. through these experiences. It's trying to wake you up, right? So you, a lot of times when things start out and you go through these difficulties, they're fairly light. And then they start to get heavier and heavier and heavier. And this was my experience looking back. Mm -hmm. Like I duck, duck, ducked and dodged prison so many times. I thought I got away with something. But in actuality, I didn't. Maybe mm -hmm. if I would have went there, I would have had to face myself at that point. Yeah. Being alone in a cell, right? With that, without the things I used to have. Maybe I would have done that. You know, back then I'm like, whew, I got away with that. On the day of my first son's birthday, and he's 20, he's about to be 29. But when my son was in the hospital, I had a pocket full of cocaine for sale in my pocket that day. This was in the 90s when they were sending people to prison for nothing. I mean, this was where, when, when the, the, the pipeline was open. Mm -hmm. This was everybody's going to prison, even if you got a little bit of drugs on you. So that day, police pull up on us because I see something's going on, doesn't feel right. So I start to walk and I was going to drop this off, what I had in my pocket. And police pull out from everywhere and they all got their guns on us and they have us laying, me and my friend, laying us face down in, in, the, in, the, in the grass. And I was like, oh, man. I said, you know, because everybody I know was going to prison. I was like, you know, basically it's my turn. This, this is the day I'm going. And this is just one instance that so many t times this type of thing had happened. So they got the guns on us. They, you know, they got us face down, you know, palms up, all that whole get down. And they handcuff me. And what they do is they you just give me a quick pat search. They don't go in my pockets or nothing. They just check my ankles, my waistband, whatever, to see if I had any weapons. And I didn't. So they handcuffed me, put me in a car, handcuffed him, put him in a different car. There's like five cars there. I mean, they swooped out of nowhere. I mean, like they was all hiding and we were walking and they just came out. We was just like, what's going on? It was like a, it was like a movie. It literally is like a movie. 
And so when they finally get back over to me, and I was trying to take that out of my pocket and kick it under the seat. So, and then a spotlight hit me from another car and I kind of just froze up. When they came back over to me, they started asking me about weapons. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, you just searched me. You know, I don't have any weapons. He said, well, we had a report of some people with weapons here, blah, blah, blah. And they let me go. I had a whole pocket full of drugs. So, so many times this happened where I thought I got away with something, but in actuality, I didn't. This thing that I really believe if they would have took me to prison that day, that I would have been in a different space after I came out. Right? So everything in the universe is happening for you, whether it's good or it's bad. It's, mm. it's there to get you somewhere. It's to redirect you. So I can say that last thing that happened to me when the drinking thing, I could say that was the worst time of my life. But guess what happened because of it? It transformed my entire life. It put me on that path. It was that point where I was at the crossroad. Without that, I would probably still be doing the same thing I'm doing right now that I used to do, right? If I wouldn't have had that come to Jesus moment, if I wouldn't have had that you have to change moment, I'd still be doing it. I still be drinking. I would still have dysfunctional relationships. I would still be a womanizer. I would still be dibbling and dabbling in things I shouldn't. I would still be uneasy. I would still be anxious. I would still be depressed. And I would still be using alcohol as a crutch. Mm -hmm. So the universe is always working for us. We just have to look, what is this trying to, where is this trying to guide me? What is this trying to show me? Instead of going, I'm the victim, I'm the victim, I'm the victim. You know how many people got to that bottom place, whether it's prison or, 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 or even people that been paralyzed in an accident that woke up because of it. Like their life became beautiful because of a hardship mm -hmm. or something that they had to go through. They created this, this, this transformation within them, their inner self, not their outer self, but that inner self, that awakening happened only because their life got really, really hard and they didn't know what to do. So they had to go inside. And, and something that I, I find really impressive about you is, you know, so many people say that when you're 40, you're over the hill. And like the, on the 40th birthday, so many birthday cards say you're 40, you're over the hill, like it, everything's downhill from here. But yet you, in your 40s, you started um, as a bodybuilder. You started competing in competitions as a bodybuilder in your 40s. And you provided stiff competition for much younger people. And then you ended up in your first competition, you ended up placing third, correct? Right. So this is how it went. So with, with, with natural bodybuilding, you can't take drugs, you take polygraphs, right? So if they ask you if you've been on anything within the last seven years or 10 years, I think it's either or, uh, then you can't compete. If you fail the polygraph and lie, you can't compete. If you win, if you get first, they take, take you immediately to the bathroom, they take your urine and they test it. So even if you're taking something you think is okay and it's not, it's gonna come up in the urine and you're banned for seven years, I believe. Okay. So what happened is I got picked up by Clean Machine, my sponsor, he, they reached out to me and I was so blessed to be a part of this team. Uh, not only because they have great products, but the dude, Jeff Palmer, that, that is the, found, the, the CEO and the founder, just comes from a 
just a loving place. It's not about money for him. It's really about um, helping other people get to where they want to get. Um, so I got picked up and within five weeks, I was in that competition. Five weeks prep. And he threw me in with the young guys. So five weeks, five weeks. Okay. He goes, five weeks, you're going to be on a plane going to Texas. Get ready. Right. So I went there and I competed against all these young kids because in my age group, there's not a lot of people. And also another reason was because I didn't go in the older age group as well because my sponsor, he was there. So we, I guess he didn't want us to compete against each other. Right. So I just okay. stayed with the young guys. He went with the older guys and that's how it happened. So I have, I'm th pro in three different federations. Um, WMBF is my, is, is my, is my one. It was the hardest to, to, to get a pro card in, but you, I went up against all young guys because there's not enough guys my age that are natural, right? Usually guys my age are taking some type of hormone replacement or, you know, HGH or something like that. That's bodybuilding. They're taking all the testosterone and things like that. So in order for me to get a pro card, I have to go against these young guys where I'm their dad's age a lot of times. Mm. So, and you have to beat enough people. So in WNBF, you have to have eight people that you have to, you have to win the overall thing. So you got a tall category in physique and you have a short category. Whoever wins out of the tall goes against the one from the short and whoever wins the overall gets a pro card. So I did that three times uh, with, these young, with these young people. And when I go there, I like to speak to these young guys because they all think that meat is where it's at. Meat is, is the only way you can get your protein. Now, I'm not saying this to talk about myself, but I'm beating them at almost 50 years old without meat. My testosterone is supposed to be much lower at this time. I'm not supposed to be doing these things at this time without help. And, I, and I'm just on a simple plant-based diet and taking BCAs and some protein. Can, can I do something here while we're talking about this? And, and I want you to keep talking, but can I pull up a picture? I've got a picture of you up on stage um, can you say, just so I can show our viewers what uh, well, which one did you get? <laughs> let's see. Let's say kind of step back and go like, wow, now I'm putting things in perspective. Like you're my father's age, but you're here with me doing these things. So it, it kind of plants a seed that for one, you don't have to do what you're doing right now. And as far as aging goes, that you will age much better without all these animal products in your life. You see that? Yes, I, I mean, yeah, it's on there. I see it. There you go. So that's, so that's you, man. And you're like competing against like guys that are probably almost like half your age, maybe even like less than half your age. Yes, uh, uh, like I said, for a natural bodybuilding, uh, there's not a lot of us, like I'm, I'll be 51 in a couple months. So there's not a lot of us there. Um, so it's just, for me, it's, it's going in there and talking to the young kids. And, and I got this vegan tattoo on my uh, collarbone right here, just to mm -hmm. open up a conversation because veganism to me is not about a diet. Veganism to me is about unconditional love for all beings that have the ability to feel pain and suffer like we do. So I'm not a judgy vegan, right? Because I became vegan just so organically that uh, it was about making a connection. Mm -hmm. So when I do talk about it, my delivery comes from 
a loving, compassionate place. And I'm not that guy that's going to go, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. I just give the information from this space and I just leave it like that. But did right? you I, get, do you get like a ton of pushback? I mean, especially I in, the, in that field, like, or, or, or I suppose opposing conversations where like, because most people are still go on the meat route even today, right? Even though there's like so many people coming out that are like pro athletes that are crushing it on vegan diets. There's still a lot of people that are like, no, man, you got to eat meat. So have you had a lot of pushback? Well, no. So one time at a competition and I was in an untested competition where people can use whatever they want to use. And this guy actually uh, beat me in my age group. Mm -hmm. um, he was using, but we had a conversation. And I said, I'm a vegan. And he said, oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and that was probably the most negative like experience I had when it came to that. Mm -hmm. I've had people that I talk to go, you know what? I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about, uh, I've been thinking about trying that route. So we got to understand with veganism, the impact that it's having on the planet, this animal agriculture thing. It's literally tearing the planet apart. It's destroying uh, uh, forests, it's polluting the air, it's polluting the water, it's, it's using resources, it's using tons of water and land that could be used to, for vegetables and you know, fruit. We could feed this entire planet if we were to stop this. Mm -hmm. If you were to eliminate the animals, which is the middle, the middle guy, we can feed the whole planet. And you know, just, just in that sense, like if you're an environmentalist and you, you're not a vegan, what kind of environmentalist are you? Because you have to understand the damage that it's doing, right? We're going to other countries to raise this cattle for food and clear cutting land and mm. using tons of water and resources to feed and uh, give water to these animals just so we can kill them and eat them and they can make us sick. It doesn't make any sense and it's not sustainable. And the interesting part about it is it goes back to programming. It's like society, the Western world has been programmed that meat is part of our diet. And like, you know, I remember growing up and there's, there's a lot of advertising about having milk, have milk. It makes you strong, gives you calcium, eat meat, you know, meat's good for you. Um, and people like the concept of people living and performing on a vegan diet, maybe 20 years ago would have been almost unheard of. But now we're seeing it like all over the place. And, um, and you can speak from experience um, of being a professional athlete and performing really high level on, on a vegan diet. It does work, but it's, we, we need, people need to be reprogrammed to understand that, you know, okay, so the things that you're getting from your meats, you can get them from vegetables. You just got to know where to get them from and, and how to eat. Is that something that you train when you do your coaching? Yeah, so... And it, with, with Google, it's so simple. But if you're still living that old program, it doesn't matter. Right? It doesn't matter how much, how much information that you give somebody. It's like telling a drug addict, you know, drugs are bad for you. Yeah, I know that. But I'm not going to stop. Mm -hmm. Right? That's, that's their thing. So there's so much information out there. If you don't want to learn how to do it, that's, that's it's because you're choosing mm -hmm. not to do it. It's not that it's not out there right it's just you are in that old program so there's so many connections to food so holidays you'll eat a certain way it might it might bring back memories of your grandma or, or whatever so you're emotionally attached to these foods that you've been eating your whole life 
So to give them up feels like you're really missing something. And that's just because in your, you're set in your ways, in the old ways. So just to switch up your diet, you're going, man, I'm really missing this. So you have to completely shift from that old story and create a new story. And, and the thing about it is it's not as hard as you think, right? So when you start to change, your taste buds change in like two weeks. So the stuff that you think is good, like right now, if we went to eat McDonald's, we'd probably throw up in our mouths, right? Absolutely. But back in the day, it was delicious. I can't even smell that anymore. The smell makes me sick, mm. right? When I walk past the meat aisle, the stink, it smells like death. Mm. My senses are so heightened now in this state that I'm in that I can actually smell how rotten that meat is. Well, before, I could not. So we, we got to uh, completely change the way we do things in order to uh, keep this diet. That's why so many people diet and they fall off. They diet and fall off. This is not a diet, a vegan. It's a belief. So there's a plant-based, that's a diet, right? Plant-based is a diet. Veganism is a belief that animals shouldn't be treated the way they're treated. They shouldn't be used for things. Like they're not here for us. They're here with us. People say, oh, well, what would you do with all the cows? And all? Well, eventually they'll die. But we just keep making more. You see what I'm saying? What would you do? They just overtake the world. No, they wouldn't. We're producing, mass producing these things. We're growing pigs, you know, hundreds of pounds in like six months with these growth hormone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's completely insane now. But before, I didn't know any of this information. Before, this wasn't my reality. Before, this was so far out of my reality i didn't even know that i didn't even put it together that animals are killed to eat them it's such a disconnect because we look at food as food and not where it came from and that's why a lot of times they call meat something else other than what it was beef you know what I'm how, how many times have you had this conversation with people and people like man i don't even want to think about that i just want to enjoy my steak and that's true right. like people don't want to think about it because if they know that they think about it like they, they won't eat meat. Yeah, there's a connection there. Like I said, if you want to stop eating meat, go watch, go to a slaughterhouse. Yeah, I promise you. I promise you, you're done with that. Yeah, and, and I feel sorry for the people that have to take these type of jobs or feel they have to take these type of jobs because they're really on a on an emotional level. They're super impacted by death mm. every day. Mm. Imagine uh, six thousand cows. I think six thousand cows a day at Farmer John's in L.A. go through that process. Wow. And what if you're the guy that's doing it? Yeah. You know how numb you would get? You know how on, on an energetic level, how, what that would do to you? I couldn't no one, no one even wants to see that in the video, yeah. right? People want to run away from the truth. Oh, don't show me that. Why? This is what you're eating. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that, right? Why, why would you take your kid there to see this or witness this? Why wouldn't you? There's only one reason. Because deep down, you know, this is, this is not right. And you know it would traumatize your baby, right? Because they, you know it's not right. When they see this, they're going to completely be traumatized by this. This is the reason why you take them to apple farms or go to pick fruit. That's why you take them there. You don't take them to the slaughterhouse. If you can't show something, this is my model now. If I can't show something to my kids, I shouldn't be having, being, having anything to do with it. Mm. You see what I'm saying? If yeah. my 12-year-old daughter... If I can't show her the way I'm behaving or what I partake in, then I'm not going to do it. 
And, and I believe you've been a good role model because, I mean, you yourself, you have actually had some articles written in uh, Vegan Fitness Magazine on you, I believe, a couple of times. And also your daughter, Eshiana, she's also been uh, in Vegan Fitness Magazine as well. And she's had a lot, of, a lot of publicity and a lot of media because she herself is an athlete. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah. So Eshiana, that was the one that I found out she was pregnant before the next day when that my bleeding issue started, right? Mm-hmm. So I really believe she came here to, to save me. I know it sounds crazy, but I believe she came here to save me so I could show her how to do it, right? So she came here to save me and I came for my transformation and I was to guide her, not tell her what to do or make her a certain way, but the love that I found within myself to show her that part to show her how to, to, to live your truth and to be a purposeful and loving and kind and compassionate human being that I never was before with my other children. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, I love them, but I didn't know how to be that. Going back to having no father, how do you know how to be a father when you don't have a father? What does that look like to you, mm-hmm. right? No one's there to play with you to show you how to communicate with your children and then you just kind of try to figure it out. Yeah, you figure out how to do this. The love was always there, but not the not knowingness was there as well. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. So, um, what was I just talking about? I just lost track real quick. You were talking about Ashiana and oh, Ashiana. She, she's an athlete. So, anyways, I was here to show her and to teach her, and she teaches me as well, right? So she was one of my biggest teachers. Even before I started doing this, before I went vegan, we were at a, a Pollo Loco and she, I, mm-hmm. we were eating chicken. And she goes, she must have been two, two years old, right? And I said, stop playing. She was playing with something. I said, eat your chicken. She said, chicken? She said, you mean the chicken is a walk around? And I was like, I didn't know what to say. She was making a connection from the food she was eating to the animals. I didn't know what to say. I was like, just eat your chicken. I didn't even answer her. Because it it disturbed me that she was asking these questions. Mm. And I didn't want to tell her. So from a young age, she was my teacher. And she would always ask me, you know, why do you meditate so much? And then, you know, when I started, I became a vegan. Why? I never tried to force it on her. Mm. Right? Never. I was never say you, because I co-parented at this time. This was her mom lived in San Jose. I was living in Oakland. I never said this way you have to eat, but she was always so. She wanted to eat. She inquired about everything. Like, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why do you do this? And she see the way I treated people, and she see the way I acted. And one one time, and then she got older, and she, her mom got a hold of me through text or call and said, "Why is Ishiana pulling the meat off of her food?" And I said, "I don't know." She was always connected. Kids are. If you were to tell kids what their food was, they wouldn't eat it. I promise you, they wouldn't eat it. If you said, this is how it comes to your plate, they, I don't want nothing to do with it. But yeah. by the time they get old enough, they're so disconnected, it doesn't matter. So she started pulling meat off her plate. So her mom calls me and I said, I don't know why she's doing it. I never told her to stop eating any of that, right? She always asked me questions that I just give her the answer. Why don't you want to eat meat? I said, because I don't want to harm any other beings, period. Not the goriness of it, not because they slice their throats and hang them upside down, none of that stuff. 
So she stopped and her mom goes, you know what? Okay, she, it's just a fad for her. So we're going to go ahead and uh, I'll go ahead and ride with this thing. So her mom starts doing research on it and she stops eating meat. At this time, she's a vegetarian. And I don't know if I'm vegan or vegetarian at this point. I think I might be vegan. But her mom's like, I'm going to go ahead and facilitate this thing because I know it's going to be just a short little phase she's going through. Mm -hmm. Six years later, no phase. She's so hardcore as far as not, not hurting other animals. She has so much compassion for all beings. There's no way she'll ever go back. She's 12 mm -hmm. at this point. So she meditates all the time. She's super tapped in. I think these kids coming through, they're coming through at a different vibration already. Yeah. So if you allow them to be them, they're just going to shine. Yeah. No matter what. They're so tapped in without the garbage that we throw on them. Yeah. So with her, I let her be her. Mm -hmm. And if I, the only thing I was given advice I was given was don't touch the iron. Look before you cross okay. the street. Basic survival things that she may not know, I'll give to her. Other than that, do your thing, little, little, little mama. You know what I'm saying? Whatever you do is what you do. So she immediately got into academics and she started reading all the time, just reading book after book after book after book. And her, her teachers kept saying, she's an excellent writer. And we're like, whatever. But she, as she started getting older, she would write these pieces and I'll have to share some with you that look, that seemed like an adult author wrote them as a, like a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old. Mm. He's doing this work like no way that your daughter wrote this. And yeah, even her mom couldn't believe it. She was like, where'd you get this information from? She goes, she thought she plagiarized the paper and she went and goes, I got my information. She started opening up things. I got my information. She's like, dang, like you did write that. So she was just so tapped into those academics and learning. She wanted to learn everything. She even went as far as like learning about crystals and energy and all this mm -hmm. on her own on her own like this was she was being drawn she was drawn that way and i was like you just keep doing whatever you do you know whatever you do is is what you do so her mom was like you know what all she does is study and read and do all this other stuff she needs to do something physical with herself right so she okay. gave her a couple options she said you can do this this or this and at this point she's testing the highest in the state all her straight 4.3 great GPA, all that stuff, right? Every single year she's getting these grades and, and testing out, topping out on the testing. You know, when they give you a score of like 1350 and they don't give you any higher score, it, it, she tested out at the ceiling, at the, she was there at the top every single time. And she had two tests that they gave her that gave, gave her the exact same score. And it was like, that's impossible. She can't get the exact same score. So they checked on that and they said, this is the highest score that we can give you. She actually was higher than that, but we could only give her this score. Hmm. So she's, I think she's a genius. That's what people are saying as far as her IQ goes. So we was like, we got to get her not out of this, but shoot, she has to do something else. She can't just sit in here, even though she wants to do it on her own, we can't just have her in here just, you know, Albert einstein -y out all the time. She has to move <laughs> her body, right? So get she gave balance. her- Right. So she, so she goes, I'm going to put her, she chose this tumbling class. Now, what I'm going to tell you, you're not going to believe. She couldn't do a cartwheel when she got into this tumbling class. Not even a cartwheel. Her cartwheel was sideways. You know those kind? Mm, yeah. You know, a kid tried to do yeah. a cartwheel and they just kicked yeah. their legs sideways? Yeah. That's what she was in that tumbling class when she started that tumbling class. 
So there's a tryout for the team where you get on a team at certain levels and you compete. So there's tryouts. So she did the tumbling and she started to get better at her tumbling and everything. And she was working really hard. Her work ethic is over the top and there was tryouts. So at this point, maybe she's been in there for maybe six months and she's super improving on everything. And the tryouts come and she's super nervous about it. And there's levels, usually people start at level six or below, but I guess they seen something. See, we didn't know what to see. This was, it, it was uh, acro gymnastics. We, weren't know, we wouldn't know what to look for as far as talent, like finding a diamond in the rough, we, we wouldn't know that. So for instance, if you were a boxer and you just had a natural ability, I know boxing, I'm like, that guy's good, even though he hasn't been you know, training. But as far as gymnastics, I'm so ignorant as far as this sport goes. Then I'm like, what, well, what, I don't see anything. And there's like, well, she came in with her partner, a mixed pair, she came in at level eight. Like, this guy has been there for two or three years already and had to work his way up to, he worked his way up to level eight. This was level eight for him for his first time. And she came in at level eight, them two together. So they went that whole year without losing at level eight. Next year they came in level 10. So now she's doing crazy stuff. I don't know if you've seen a video of her doing her stuff, flipping and doing crazy balance. It looks like Cirque du Soleil, right? She, she's, a, she's Olympic level. Like, like she's, and then she, that same year, the second year was at level 10. And then the, the, this last year she went up to, uh, in the middle, middle of the year, she got switched to elite. So elite is a whole nother, uh, animal, right? It's a whole nother animal. So her and him are now elites going into the third year. Three years. So most of these kids started when they're very, very young and it takes them a long time to get to that point. So they get to the elite level, never losing the entire time on any level. Not one time did they lose. Mm -hmm. So this last year they go over to London at the elite level and they win there too. And that's when COVID shut everything down. So she made the Olympic, not the Olympic team, uh, USA gymnastics team after two and a half years from not being able to do a cartwheel. Wow. That's, so everything she does, it's just like, we, we expect it now. We just expect that, not pr pressure wise, we don't say you need to do this, but it's just expected. You're not surprised when she just like pulls Not out at all. Yeah. Another, another example is her mom, they, they have the cutest, PETA has the cutest vegan kid every year, right? So her mom seen that on the internet and had 10 minutes to get this submission in, right? 10 minutes, it was about to they were about to shut it down where you couldn't it, it put her in the competition. So she throws her in the competition, she wins. Wow. She wins and, and you know, she does, she's done videos for PETA and PETA kids. And we were invited to a, a, a fundraiser out in this little rich area in the Bay area. It's like everything she does is, is such a high level, but what comes with that is the added pressure she puts on herself. And that's what that part right there, accepting whatever the outcome is. And, you know, it almost, I was almost wishing for them to lose so she could have that experience. Mm -hmm. Like, so she can, have that experience and know what, know, so she can know what it feels like and to not take that as a bad thing. Yeah.
You see what I'm saying? It's like experience that part. And this was, this is what's going to make you better. So every competition she was in, she, they weren't perfect the whole time, but they still ended up winning the competition, but taking a loss, that's a whole nother, whole nother level, which yeah. she hasn't experienced yet. So I was just like, yeah, when she, I said, you're going to lose. That's what I told her. I said, you're going to lose. And when you do, you have to be a gracious loser. You know, you got to be, you did all you did the best you could and it just didn't bring you out on top, mm-hmm. but it's still a win for you no matter what, but that never happened. But you're going to probably have, you know, interview her uh, at some point, I believe, but. I'd love to have her on the show. Yeah. You're going to talk to her. And you're going to be like, what, well, where is this kid from? <laughs> like this kid is from, I always say she's from another planet. I always say that because it's like, she just came here from somewhere. Like she, the information she knew already, and I'm not even getting to that point. Like she just knew so much information where, where'd she get this information from? Like uh, one of the times she's a public speaker as well. And someone asked her, she was eight, nine, maybe nine at the time. And they said, 200 people she's talking in front of. And someone said, what do you do if someone talks to you and makes fun of you for being vegan? This was at a vegan festival. And she said, well, I either do one or two things uh, or both. Um, I could just ignore them and go about my business or however she said it. Or I can send them love because I know that that's what they need the most. That's pretty cool, man. Right. I was just like, (laughs) man, my heart just filled up. I'm like, everybody was just like, huh? Like the the audience was like, what did she, what did she just say at nine? Like took you, took you 40 years to come to that conclusion. Man, she gets it. it (laughs) She gets it. She had no prompting. She had, this was just, she had no skit ready for this. She had no answer. She was, this was just random people just asking her questions. And that's what she came up with. Like she lives by that motto. And I was just, I, my heart just got so filled up when she said that. It's like, this is what the planet needs right here. Mm-hmm. If these kids get this at a young age, that when she gets to be an adult, it's going to have a, it's going to be, this world will change. This world will be the world that everybody wants. Mm-hmm. And it starts with us being that example or allowing our kids to, to blossom and, and not give them, them the, the, the beliefs that people are less than or different just because they're different than you, that, that, it, that we are, you know, actually different when at their core, we're not. These skin suits that we have on, they are so insignificant, right? Just think about this. The color of your skin and your skin is just a thin layer that covers your entire body will have people treating you and it blows my mind now back then it didn't really blow my mind but have people treating you different like you are different you deserve something different because of melanin mm-hmm. or the pigment in your skin and mm-hmm. to me that blows my mind like you're gonna judge me on this this is your deciding factor of whether that i should live or i should die Mm. And it blows my mind now. But I know those people that believe this, they're not, that's not them. So at the same time, I have understanding for people that believe, that think like this, because if I was raised in that environment, look, I played out everything that my environment, that I seen in my environment. Yeah. So if you're raised in a hate-filled environment, 
if this this was your reality until you realize it's not you're going to continue to carry that on and not only that pass it on to your kids yeah so i understand that so like with all of the experiences you've had in your life monk and and where you're at now and i like to ask this of of all of my guests because everybody's got a different answer but what would you say the ultimate freedom lifestyle is for you like how would you say that you know that you're completely free it's 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 your state of being is going to let you know period how do you feel right how do you feel uh uh on an energetic level, what, what it, just every day when you get up, what is that feeling that you, that, that comes with you awakening in the morning, right? Does it feel good? Does it feel bad? Do you feel stressed when you get up? Because when you are living that life and you're completely aligned, you're gonna have a sense of ease and you're gonna worry less and your concerns are gonna be less and you know what it is. So if you get up and you're stressed out, and in your life is stressing you out, that means you're not aligned with what you're supposed to be doing. So a lot of times when we go choose a job because of money, we get that job because of money, but it's not what we're supposed to be doing. So we're completely miserable. So we spend all this time doing what we're not supposed to be doing because we think the money part is gonna be, is somehow gonna make it all better, which it, which it doesn't. But the sense of ease that your life takes on when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing is the indicator that you are where you're supposed to be. And that goes across all, 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 as far as your relationships go, as far as your friendships go, you know, as far as your romantic relationships go, as far as your job goes, as far as whatever you're doing, if it's something doesn't feel right, then you know that you're not supposed to be doing that. Yeah. So the ease is with, with you, things become easier when you're aligned. Your, your life becomes easier. Everything becomes easier. Not saying that you're not gonna have struggles with your relationships or whatever but it's different you come from a different place you're easy to you it's easy for you to get back to that spot of ease even if you have a little disruption and you're not going to stay in that state where it goes day after day week after week month after month year after year life becomes not easy but at ease the peace that you live with is going to tell you whether you are on the correct path or you need to shift or pivot. And that's where you're living now. And I love that. And you're passing that on and you're doing this for your coaching. And, um, and you know, so if you were to, if you were to dial back, if you could go in a time travel tunnel and go back to meet your 20 year old self, what would be the one thing that you would say to your 20 year old self? Well, I always travel back in time. We didn't talk about that, but yeah, but I'll go back one more time. <laughs> so, so what I would tell, because growing up, I was full of insecurities, right? I told you how I grew up. Every, I was so insecure that I couldn't even stand up in front of somebody and, and say my name because I was, it was almost like all the eyeballs were, they knew my life. They knew my brokenness. They knew my, uh, the way I was raised. They knew all of it. It's like everybody was judging me with their eyes, even though they weren't, but that was my insecurities. But we have to understand we are coming to this world, we come in this world whole and complete. There's mm -hmm. nothing missing, nothing missing. First of all, I tell my 20 year old self, you are enough. Beautiful. You don't need to get anything else. You are whole and you are complete and you are enough. The second thing I would say where would be 
since you are enough, you need to love yourself. You need to accept yourself, love yourself, drop the guilt and the shame, right? You came here, you were on purpose for a purpose. And those would be the two main things that I would say. You are enough. Everybody that's listening to this call, there's nothing missing. The only thing is missing is connecting to who you really are. Connecting to that part of you which already knows that you are enough, that you are whole and you are complete. Everything else that you're dealing with, that's ego. That's, that's programming, right? Any insecurity you have is your ego trying to, trying to put, put his foot in the ground and hold on to, when you, start, when you start to wake up, guess what? Your ego is not going down easy. It's gonna fight every step of the way to, yeah. to hold you to that identity. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a birthing process. It's painful, but then on the other side, it gives life. Like real life, not the life you were working with previously, but you come to a self-realization what life is and how and, and what you're here for and the purpose that you're here for and the joy that can be there and the healthy relationships that can be there and the abundance and the prosperity that's there. And the the transformation, like I don't know if I told you, I don't know if you know, I, I got a I, my book's getting ready to come out in January, but my book is entitled Love Over Fear. Love Over Fear. Okay. A guide to peace and purpose. So we're working with everything comes under these two umbrellas, right? Love or fear. So when we're living from a place of love, we're going to do things that reflect that. And when we're living from a place of fear, we're also going to do things that reflect that. So if you have a scale, fear is over here and love's over here and you got everything in between. So when we're vibrating high and we're in a place of love, and I know the, the listeners right now, uh, they probably experienced this. When you are in such a loving place with a relationship, your heart is wide open. Uh, you, there's nothing else. There's no room for anything else there. You cannot hold love and fear or any other low vibrational uh, uh, emotion simultaneously. Mm. They can't it's be impossible. there together. It's impossible. If you're in a loving place, nothing else can get in. Now they can go back and forth, right? Something come, can't come in, but they can't be there together. They can't share space. So when you live from a place of love, like really from a place of love, and I try to live from that spot as much as possible, as much compassion, nothing else can get in. You're, you're saying no to these other things. You're not opening the door for these other things to get in. And it just expands. So every morning when I get up, I do my meditation. I do my gratitude. I, I breathe. I I. I connect to my higher self. I connect to that love. And then I start my day. So my suggestions for everybody, is they should have some kind of practice in the morning. So they can get their, their, their day off on the right trajectory, you know, so they can start going from a grounded, loving, compassionate spot and then go out and interact with people and bring that with you. You know, all of our, all of our guests we have, have here at Freedom Hack Radio, everyone has daily rituals. And I would say like 99% of everybody does it all in the morning. And, and um, it sets us up for our day. And I know the days that I miss my daily ritual, I, I know I feel off. I feel way more grounded on the days that I wake up. I do my breathing exercises. I do my movement. I do my meditation. I get grounded. And it's almost like um, the day just works with clarity. And, and I think it's amazing. So, Absolutely. I mean, I think it's imperative, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's what we do. Yeah. 
And, and that is also what monks do. You are a monk. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even tell you. I didn't even tell you how I got that name. I'm gonna have to tell you the next time. Yeah. Hey, man, I really appreciate having you on the show today. Um, so if people are to keep the conversation going, I know you've got coaching, you've got the book coming out, Love Over Fear. How do people keep the conversation going and keep in touch with you? Um, so I think monketernal.com is the platform because I have all my social medias there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my main uh, social media is Instagram and it's monk underscore eternal. Okay. But yeah, monkeyturnal.com. Um, like I said, you can find all you know all the things that I'm doing in my in 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 there and all my social medias as well and my coaching, uh, what my coaching is all about. Beautiful, and we're gonna have to have you back, man, because there's so much more to talk about, so much more to dig on. Um, I did. Can I actually just pull up one quick photo? I've got one more photo. You're probably like, oh man, I thought I was gonna get out of that. I got this one down here. You got a sword there. You rocking out the sword. Well, was that something that you guys had to do or? No, no. So I actually. Yes. <laughs> so what happens when you win your pro card? That was my first pro card. They give you a sword like you're Conan the Barbarian or something. <laughs> so that was my first that was my first pro card. So uh, that's why I had the sword. Beautiful, man. That's Love what they it. give you. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Love it. Thanks for being such an inspiration. Thanks for doing what you're doing. You know, I really love your story. I love that you're sharing this. I love that you're being vulnerable. You're out there. You're changing life. You're, you're, you've got a message of love and health. It's absolutely beautiful, man. So, um, you know, we've told you guys how to keep in touch with Monk here. Thanks, everybody, for listening today. I hope you guys have got a ton out of it. Thank you very much, Monk. Um, I'm going to have you back, brother. It's been my pleasure. Beautiful. Well, until next time, uh, live large and live free. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson, and this is Freedom Hack Radio.